take your Bibles and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm experimenting with a new program that streamlines my sermon writing process and combines it and makes the PowerPoint all in one. And so it's not quite where I want it yet, but we're going to try it again. And then from there, after that, I'll be done with my trial period. And I'll either keep using it and we'll keep experimenting with it. Or we're going to uh, go back to the old way. But anyways, if things look a little different, that is the explanation behind that. Um, the, what we're going to be doing is looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, later on in the fall, um, towards the end of the fall, my plan is to have another sermon from the book of Deuteronomy. I kind of bookend uh, the starting point of Deuteronomy and the ending point of Deuteronomy. Uh, for you so that next time you read through the book of Deuteronomy, hopefully um, gives you a little bit of a framework and helps you to just interpret some of the bigger ideas and bigger concepts a little bit more easily and be able to apply those a little bit more practically and helpfully to your own lives. So that's kind of my goal uh, with this is just give you two uh, sermons that kind of explain some of the bookends and some of the bigger ideas in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a very important passage within Judaism. And um, what it's effectively doing is, it's, it's called the Shema, or the, the call for Israel to listen. And not simply to listen, but to take that listening, to hear, and then to obey and follow through with faithful obedience to Israel's God. And, and we've already covered slightly in, in a few details uh, some of the sins that we have seen repeated, uh, some of the failure that has been evident in the nation of Israel. Israel has been given the law in Leviticus. They've been given magnificent promises by God uh, of a land that is flowing with milk and honey. They've been told that their nations will be wiped out as they go, but God will do it slowly so that they're not overcome by the enemies. God has demonstrated his love, his covenant faithfulness to them as he's led them out of Egypt, bringing all those plagues upon the Egyptians. So he split the Red Sea as he provided manna for them to eat, as he provided birds for them to eat when they complained against him, as he provided water in the wilderness on different occasions. God has proved himself faithful and a true good God time and time again. And yet, as we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 1, what happens? Israel, for a time, lives in faithful trust and obedience to their God. <coughs> but then God tells them, hey, go attack the enemy. I've given the enemy to you. This is the starting point of actually getting the land. And the response is, did you see those guys? Not a chance. We're not marching in there. Yeah, sure, they may have great grapes, but great grapes are not worth dying over. Forget it. And God's response is, okay, go march around in the wilderness for a couple of years. And they're like, oh, no, 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 we don't want to do that either. We'll go fight. We'll go fight. And God says, no, I told you to go march around in the wilderness now. Change of plans. Change of direction. Go march around in the wilderness. No, we're going to go fight. Well, if you go fight, you're all gonna, you're, a lot of you are going to die. We're going to go fight. All right, march up the hill, die, come back. All right, 
Go march around the wilderness. And so this has been Israel. And Moses, as the leader of these people, looks at the situation and goes, we need a different plan. This isn't working. And, and so the plan that he gives them is this. I think you can summarize it with these three words. Listen, listen, love, and multiply. Listen, incorporating the idea of hearing God's commands and following through in obedience loving the Lord God above all else, and then multiplying people who want to pursue that same mission, he says, is the objective for the nation of Israel. And that's what he describes in chapter 6. I believe the theme of the passage is this. Obedience promises treasure. Obedience promises treasure. If you would take your Bibles and let's read through Deuteronomy chapter 6 together. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that I may be, it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your Father has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your father, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build houses full of all good things which you did not fill hewn out wells which you did not dig vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant and when you have eaten and are full then beware lest you forget the Lord your who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God his testimonies and the statutes which he has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in that time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the, which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your sons, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, 
and great and, se great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our God always. We might preserve us alive, that he might preserve us alive, as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us, if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders that your word gives us that we need to be careful to obey your word. That we need to refresh our knowledge of you so that we faithfully love you as you should. That there's a constant need for us to be multiplying those who are in a dedicated pursuits of knowing and serving you. We pray that you would challenge us with these truths and that you would help us to see that as we do this, true treasure waits. In your name we pray. Amen. He begins, and as he begins, he introduces us to this concept called joy is found, and it's really seen in verses 1 through 3. It's kind of a, a bridge between chapter 5 and chapter 6 in which he's pointing us to the, the fact that there is, there is great joy, there is great hope in obedience to God. And, and so verse 3, he tells us, or verse 1, he tells us, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. He's encouraging them to to be obedient. And we've already discussed this, but let me just once again highlight it. Israel had received and rejected the Ten Commandments. And, and far more commandments than just that. But just to summarize, they received them and they rejected them. And so now Moses is here once again ready to call them to faithful obedience to God. Why? Because they've disobeyed time and time again. So verse 1 calls them, hey, obey God. Love God. But he goes on from there and he tells them specifically that doing this has great reward. Or if you, if you want to pick up on the theme that we've kind of had for the last, you know, five days, six days, six to five days, something like that. Um, it's treasure, right? He's saying that there's treasure in this, there's reward in this. And the reward that Moses promises the nation of Israel is not the promise that you and I have. This is a promise specifically to the nation of Israel. If I were to make a promise to Anastasia that when she turns 18, I will buy her a Ford Mustang. And then when she's 17 years old and 364 days, she does something disobedient like not washing the dishes when I tell her to. And I say... Well, I'm going to fulfill my promise, but I'm going to do so to Kira Long instead because she hasn't disobeyed me. <laughs> Ethan's excited. And he might enjoy the car, but would he call me a faithful father who's true to my word? No, he wouldn't say that. The same thing goes for these promises. These promises are specifically made to the nation of Israel, but there are principles that we can find within those promises that I believe are timeless and true, and we will see that as we continue through our passage. But look specifically at the promises he gives to the nation of Israel. When you cross over 
you're supposed to obey the commands. Verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God, keep all his statutes, his commandments, which I commanded you, you and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life. Why? That your days may be prolonged. He's telling them, hey, if you go in and you live obedient, faithful lives, as a general rule, you will live longer lives. And some of you are like, I've seen longer lives. I've been to the nursing home. I don't want it. But that's not really what he's describing here, because as you continue to go on, it's like these longer lives are actually enjoyable, longer lives. It's not simply you get to live a long time in a nursing home. There's continued joy that's present as a result of their obedience. Look at verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. A land flowing with milk and honey. He tells them specifically it's going to be well with you and there's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. He's calling them to obedience. Why? Because obedience to the commands provides them joy. This is not a foreign concept to the New Testament. As Jesus talks to his disciples, as he's getting ready to leave this world and he's getting ready to go to the cross and die on the cross for my sins and for your sins, he tells the disciples what? Abide in the Father just as I abide in the Father and he in me and what's going to happen? Your joy will be full. This isn't joy that's based off of physical circumstances. This is joy based on the fact that their sins are forgiven, that they are at peace with God. And no matter the trials that come in this uncertain world, because this life is full of many, many trials. It's not if trials will come, it's when trials come. And you and I can live at peace with the trials and the uncertainties, the difficulties of this life. Why? Because our hope for the future is certain. Secure in Jesus Christ. And therein is great joy, is great peace in the uncertainties and the difficulties we face. And so he calls them to obedience. Obedience that brings about joy. And so as you examine your life this morning, how does God have areas in your life where you need to be more faithful in obeying? And following him in obedience. Perhaps it's your pursuits of knowing him better. Perhaps it's how you share Christ with others. Perhaps it's how you treat a family member or a person who's in authority over you. Possibly the government, possibly your boss, possibly a parent. But what God is calling upon you and I to do is to pursue him in obedience. And as we do so, there is joy. There is treasure. He moves on, and this is where he really begins to introduce the whole main theme. I kind of divide it up somewhat differently. Um, so listen, love, multiply, I think is the big, big overarching idea. I separated that into verses 4 through 9, wherein he tells us, listen, love, multiply. But then I think as he 
develops those concepts in verses 10 through verse 24. He then develops them in slightly um, more detail. And so I've developed that as um, remember, um, um, remember, remain faithful, and reproduce disciples. And, and so you'll see that as we um, continue our way through the passage. But in verses 4 through 9, this is the call to Israel. And you can just put yourself in Moses' shoes. Put yourself in the nation of Israel's shoes. Just a little bit ago, what's happened? They have been suffering the punishment of God and not receiving all these blessings that have been described in verses 1 through 3. Why? Because of their disobedience. Because of their parents' disobedience. They're marching around in the wilderness without milk and honey. And now Moses calls out to the people and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses yearns for the fulfillment of God's promises. You can just feel the emotion. I mean, <coughs> Moses was happily, contentedly taking care of sheep. Right? He had a good life. He was married. He had kids. He had a livelihood. He was outside of slavery. He was not, he was not part of that world anymore. And God comes to him and tells him, Hey, Moses, I have a mission for you. It's going to be your job to take my people out of slavery and bring them to the promised land. I mean, imagine the drastic start change that's going to happen for these people. And Moses has this personal relationship with God, this communion with God that's so sweet, and he sees God's goodness step by step as he leads these people, and he knows just how good God would be to these people if they would follow him in obedience and get to the promised land. And yet they won't do it. And so he just yearns with the people to abandon their former disobedience. He calls them to abandon their ancestors' uh, past unfaithfulness and um, Oh, that's right. Okay. Sorry. My new system is, is throwing me off sometimes here. Uh, faithfulness is then displayed as we listen, love. So he calls them, hey, listen, hear, is the first command. It's not simply to hear and go, well, that's a nice story, and then move on. Rather, it's hear and allow it to penetrate your very being and change how you live. He then tells them to love God, and he describes God. He describes God's character as one who's united, and he tells them to love God. God with their entire being. And then he goes on and he describes for them the importance of instructing their children in what they have learned. Because each family is one generation away from not knowing the Lord, right? 
You can you can know the Lord, and you can love the Lord, and you can obey the Lord, but if you're not being intentional and purposeful in multiplying that in the next generation, what's going to happen? They won't know the Lord. Because it's the parent's primary responsibility to teach, to equip, to train the next generation. The church is a great complement to that, but it's not the church's ultimate responsibility to train your children. The ultimate responsibility for training your children is your responsibility. And so he, he calls them to this. I'm going to now move on and we'll look specifically at um, the, the outworking of this and how he divides it up in the next few sections. He, he tells them in verses 11 through 13 to remember the Lord. Or actually verses 10 through 13. Um, verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to you. He's assuming that this is going to happen. This is going to be what happens. He tells them when you get there, when he swore to you and he brings you into this land. He'll give you houses full of all good things, which you did not fill. He'll give you hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive fruit trees, which you did not plant. And you're going to eat, and you're going to be full. And he realizes that as he yearns for this fulfillment, and as he assumes that God will accomplish this, he knows that the danger is that when life is good for these people, they will be tempted to forget God. And, and so he says very specifically and very plainly to them in verse 12, do not forget the Lord. Look at verse 12. Then beware lest you forget who brought you out of the land of Egypt before from the house of bondage. As and he goes on in verse 13, and he tells them, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. When life is good, we're tempted to forget God and to go our own way. And he calls them to remember the past joy. It's interesting because all of a sudden there's this cycle, isn't there? There's this constant give and take. If you remember in verses 1 through 3, what does he say? He says, obedience leads to joy, right? Obedience will lead to joy. But here, what is he doing? He's calling upon them to look at the past joy, to not forget that past joy. And what's it going to do? It'll lead to obedience. And the obedience will lead to what? More joy. And the joy should then result in further obedience to the commands of God. And so there's this constant give and take cycle where obedience leads to joy, and joy should lead to obedience. It's this never-ending cycle, and when we, when we allow ourselves to get off that cycle, there are drastic problems in our relationship with God. The Christian life is not a life that's completely free to allow you to go and do anything you want, but it is a life of joy. Why? Because there's joy in obedience. And the joy will produce further obedience. He moves on and he tells them in verses 14 
and following 14 through 19 to remain faithful. He realizes that there is the danger that they would go off and do their own thing. And so he says, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he's commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord God, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken to you. And so God's demanding our faithfulness. And this faithfulness is going to demonstrate itself in multiple areas. He talks about the fact that they're not going to go after other gods. That they're going to live a life of fear. They're going to live a life of worship and service. They're not going to forsake God. And, and so he calls them to individual faithfulness. Obedience then will bring the promises of God. He once again brings up the ideas of God's promises to those who pursue in faithfulness. Finally, he returns to this idea that he develops in verses 6 through 9. This idea of multiplying. In verse 20 he says, When your son asks you, in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that we might, he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might persevere, preserve us alive as it is this day. Really, the opportunities for discipleship abound, and they will arise. Whether it be with your individual children or with other people God brings into your life, the opportunity to disciple someone is always present. And what Moses is saying is, it's not good enough for you to simply hear, obey, and love God. That doesn't stop, that stops a cycle. That's not where the cycle should end. Because if it stops there, that's where it ends. Instead, you're responsible to continue to nurture this understanding of God and the proper response to God. And you're supposed to do that starting with the children that God has entrusted you with. And yet as you, you look into the New Testament, what happens? That, that concept is kept, but this idea of the responsibility of the church to multiply itself and to seek to minister to one another is expounded upon greatly, right? What does Paul call Timothy? His child of the faith. You look at that, you see the, the multiple commands within Scripture that tell us of our responsi responsibility to each other to be discipling each other. And that we've never 
arise. And that there's always more ways for you and I to be growing in Christ's likeness and encouraging and equipping one another. And so this is really a command for you and I. And it far surpasses just your relationship with your children. It includes your relationship with the other people who are here today. And so he reminds them specifically of God's character and how God has demonstrated his character in time past. He says, look what God has done, right? The child comes and says, why do we do what we do? And the dad's response is, well, son, look at the character of God. We would not be in this situation if it were not for God's great love for the nation of Israel. Had it not been for God's mighty hand that fought against Pharaoh and delivered us from there and brought us up here, we would still be slaves in Egypt. And so we do what we do. We worship the way we worship. Why? Because we love God for his great blessings on our lives. And while you and I don't have, you know, stories like the exodus from Egypt in our past, right? I don't think any of you have had rivers divided as you walk through on dry ground. But you and I can look back at our life and we can see how God has worked at different stages and has been faithful to us. And so those are the situations that you can look back and you can say, see God's character as it's been demonstrated in this situation. This teaches us about the character and Moses is seeking to develop and instill in them a, a philosophy of education that uses basic aspects of life to teach and instruct. And so he tells them, you know, while, you, while you're going on the way, when you're going down to sleep, when you're doing this, you have it. It's just always present. This desire to nurture and develop the next generation of followers is always supposed to be present in ancient Israel. And it's something that's supposed to be true in our day as well. And so he calls them to that. Disciples must follow the governing principles. They must learn to also listen and obey. They must learn to love the Lord and remain faithful to him. And they must learn to further make disciples. And so he challenges them with that. But then he, he ends on this interesting note that maybe um, maybe raises a little bit of like, whoa, what is he doing there? Because my understanding of New Testament theology doesn't seem to immediately work with verse 25. Right? If you just take verse 25 as it stands, we might immediately go, wow, that's kind of, um, that's not, that's not in agreement with Paul and Romans. Then it will be righteousness for you. When, then, when? When they're doing these things. And yet, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, It's not by works, lest any man should boast. And here it seems like he's implying that maybe it is by works that they could earn righteousness. <coughs> then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded. 
Despite their many past failures, Moses declares hope is available to ancient Israel. Righteousness can be theirs through faith. Why do I say through faith? The text seems to imply that it is achieved by, by following the commands. I believe what Moses is, is telling them is, you demonstrate your faith in God's plan. You demonstrate your faith in God's character by obeying what he has said. And so, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, just as Rahab sent the spies out safely another way, and they were saved, and through her faith she was declared righteous, the same thing is true of these people in Deuteronomy. It is because of their faith in the character of God and his promises that they too will be declared righteous. And that is the same thing that is true for you and I today. The same treasure remains. The same hope remains. In a room this size, there is no doubt that there are many sins that you and I have no desire for each of us to find out about our lives. We are ashamed of those past sins. And yet that same hope remains. And it's not because of anything you could do or anything that I could do. Rather, it's solely based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Father saw our needy condition knowing that there was no hope in myself or in yourself, and so he graciously chose to send his one and only begotten son into the world to live a perfect, sinless life, be taken to the cross, crucified, taken off the cross, buried, rose again, demonstrating victory over sin and death. Through my faith in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven, but I also receive the righteousness of Christ. Just like these people, the treasure that they so needed was to be declared righteous. That same treasure is available to you and I. And so as we conclude, obedience will provide lasting joy. But obedience comes full circle when we train followers. The joy that we receive from our obedience should lead to And the obedience will provide joy. And so there's this constant cycle. And as we live by faith, the promises of God and the finished work of Christ, we are able to be declared righteous. And so what do we do as a result of this? think it's important for you and I to examine our lives and say, where does God want me to more faithfully live in obedience? Maybe as you examine your life, you say, I have not faithfully pursued a knowledge of Christ as I should. Maybe as you look at your life, you say, I haven't, I haven't praised or worshipped as I should. When I, when I gather for corporate worship, 
my attention is on what I'm wearing, my attention is on uh, what this other person is doing and how distracting that is, my attention is upon uh, the concerns and the trials that are going on at home, instead of focusing your attention solely on the greatness of God. Perhaps as you look at your light, you look back and you, you see areas where you are currently failing and the source of that problem is because you have been like ancient Israel and you have forgotten the past faithfulness of God in your life. And, and so the, the instruction for you then is to go back and to rehearse for yourselves perhaps even journaling for yourself the past areas in your life where you have seen God's faithfulness demonstrated time and time again. <coughs> We ought to be nurturing within us a, a heart that loves and fears God. Why? Because he is worthy of being feared. As we see the many times in scripture where people disobeyed and they were unwilling to repent what happened so often. God judges them severely. And then finally, the, the passage ends by telling us that it's great to love God and obey Him. And it's great to do all that. But if we're failing to nurture someone who's coming behind us, if we're failing to instill these same values and a, a love for God into the next generation, then we're failing. And so maybe you look at your life and you say, you know, wh where I'm failing is I don't have somebody who's coming behind me that I'm working with intentionally to develop and nurture a love for God and a desire to follow Him in obedience. And if so, I'd, I'd encourage you to ask, who here could I come alongside and point them to the greatness of God that I've seen in my own life, that we see in the, the pages of Scripture, and encourage them, God is worthy of your wholehearted pursuit. Now the trials and the difficulties and the uncertainties of this life will pass. But one thing remains constant throughout all that. And that is the character of God and his demands upon your life. Father, we do thank you for the instruction that you give us. We pray that as we examine our own hearts and our lives, as we um, go on with the rest of our days, that you would, um, you would help us to see areas in our lives where we have failed to listen to your word where we have failed to love you as we should or where we have failed to uh, nurture or multiply further disciples as you have called us to. We pray that you would help us to see those failures in our own life and that you would encourage us with the hope of joy that is in obedience to you.